Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates, Send in the Clowns, The Phoenix Tube Company, CelebrityTrips.com, The Law Firm of Decalator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and Relish Restaurant of Kings Park. Here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a man who was the fifth player in American League history to have 11 consecutive 20, 20 home run seasons, 1955 through 66. He had over 40 home runs three times, 100 RBIs six times during that same 11-year span. 371 of his 374 career home runs were hit in the American League, which left him behind only Jimmy Fox and Harmon Killebrew among the league's right-handed hitters when he retired. In 1965, while playing every game, he became the first outfielder in American League history to complete a season with a perfect 1,000 fielding percentage. 1976, he was voted the most memorable personality in Indians history. It is a pleasure to welcome a member of the Cleveland Indians Hall of Fame, the man they called the Rock way before Dwayne Johnson was even born, the one and only Rocky Calavito. Welcome, Rocky. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for the nice things you're saying. It's an absolute pleasure. You know, you grew up in the Bronx with Yankee Stadium in the background. You were a huge fan of the New York Yankees, and in particular, Joe DiMaggio. So, you know, you're eight years old when Joe DiMaggio has his iconic 56-game hitting streak. What do you remember about the summer of of 1941 and following that streak through the eyes of an eight-year-old Rocky Calavito in the Bronx? Well... I recall it because I was a big Yankee fan, as you said, and uh, it made big news, and and I used to run down to the corner uh, every night and get the daily news, with, and they used to have a one-star, two-star, three-star, and and I always looked at the back page to to see if the manager homered, and they always had the home runs, winning pitches, losing pitches. (laughs) So that that, that made a real dent in my uh, memory, really. It's so interesting how certain things, as a yeah. kid, you remember from me, obviously, 69 Mets as a 9-year-old, 8 years old as a Yankee fan, you got DiMaggio. So I'm wondering, Joe DiMaggio retired in 1951. You started your Major League career in 1955. Your last season was 68. Joe was a coach with the A's then. Did you guys, did your paths ever cross, and did you ever get a chance to sit down with Joe during your career and tell him how he was your favorite player growing up? No, I, I never really did. When I told him was uh, at the Cracker Jack All Star Games. I don't know if you recall yeah. those, or if you've ever heard of them. No, we definitely remember those. Well, yeah, but well, they started out in Washington D.C., and the last ones were in Buffalo, New York. And uh, I, we played on the same team. Or he was always in our not always, but he was in our clubhouse uh, quite a few times. And I got to talk to him a little bit. He he's a great guy. You know? You know, conversely, you ended up, after your playing days, you were a coach and a broadcaster. Were there any major leaguers at that time that came up to you and told you that you were their favorite player growing up? Well, I've had that uh, throughout my career, and I'm not, I say that in, in uh, uh, modesty, but uh, <laughs> quite a few players have said that to me. And uh, I uh, I don't know, I, I always enjoyed hearing that, and, uh, and, I, and I felt very honored by it. Uh, especially from a, uh, a peer, so to speak, uh, and that's what they are, Before, uh, Major League Baseball. I remember Don Sutton saying to me I was his favorite. Wow. So, you know, Rockies A.J. Carter, before Mark goes back and starts going back to your childhood, what do you think about you was it that made you so popular both with other ballplayers and particularly with the fans? 
what do I think made me that way? Yeah. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, as opposed to, you know, many other players had great stats because you were home runs. But what was it about you in particular in your game that you think made fans love you so much? Well, that's a hard one to answer. You know, I think one thing was that uh, I always I always tried whenever I could, and that was most of the time, unless we had to catch a bus or a train. I always tried to <laughs> sign uh, for the kids. And I, I had a routine that uh, I'd grab one kid, you know how kids are. They're anxious, and they put a pen up with a paper and, or a book and, and sign this, sign this, you know, and then somebody pushes them from behind, and you get a poke in the face or on your suit or whatever. So I always used to grab one kid and say, you line up behind this guy and make it a straight line, and don't cheat. <laughs> oh, don't, you know, push in before you turn. And I said, I'll sign everybody here. And I did, and I, I have to believe that probably helped you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the kids because I, I know that you wanted to play baseball at a very early age. You knew that by, by the age of nine what you wanted to be. You were already playing semi-pro ball. You dropped out of Theodore Roosevelt High School after your sophomore year to play semi-pro baseball, hoping that that would give you a more direct route to Major League Baseball. But it was something that you really didn't talk about for many years because of kids, right? You, you didn't want them to know. You didn't want them to follow in your footsteps, right? That's very correct. It really is. I, uh, in fact, is I still, I'm angry at a, a guy that wrote for the, for the. His name was Lynn. I forget his first name right now, but he wrote for I think either Look Magazine or the Saturday Evening Post. But I think it was Look. Anyway, he, uh, you know, he was asking me all kinds of questions doing an interview, and uh, and we. He asked about if I graduated, all those kind of questions. You know, you guys know about uh, what kind of uh, type of questions. And I and I, I hesitated when he said about, uh, you know, how far I went in school. And he said, no, you can tell me. He said, it'll be off the record, you know. Oh. And he promised me, he promised me that he would never say it. And the reason I didn't want it said was because I didn't want the kids to think that they could do the same thing. You know, they could... Uh, quit high school, and I thought education was so important, and uh, and go on and, and maybe be a big league player, because I was fortunate enough to do it, but uh, not everybody can do that, so uh, I was a very, and he turns out, and he writes, and you know, he, he put, exposes the whole thing, and I, I, his name and was I always looked to him, and I never ran a course. I think his name was Ed. all the rest of the years, I think he avoided and me. He wrote the book Vecas and Rick. Oh, okay. So AJ okay. looked it up. The I'm guy's name was Ed Lynn, and he okay. actually wrote a book about Bill Vex. So, yeah. so I don't know yeah, if he's still alive. That's if you want, him. No. <laughs> <laughs> AJ will get you his number and, for and, after and, the and, show. And, and off the air, I'll tell you a funny story. Okay. So you know, you do start getting <clears throat> noticed, however, while while playing, you know, semi pro ball. Teams start to become interested in you. The Yankees, Dodgers, and Indians in particular. Both the Dodgers and Yankees, however, wanted you to come to spring training without a contract, but the Indians come up with some money. As a kid that grew up as a Yankee fan, how tempting was it not to take that money in hand but go down to spring training in 1951, which incidentally was Joe DiMaggio's last year and Mickey Mantle's first year, mm. and compete for an outfield spot with those two plus a guy named Gene Woodling and Hank Bauer? And you know what? I loved all of those guys. Right. Those four guys were some of my favorite players. And in fact, there's... Uh, Woodling and and uh, and Bauer and and Mickey. I have a, a list of ten 
of my favorite players I ever played against. And you know, most of them are Yankees, <laughs> believe it or not. And they're not because I like the Yankees, because they were generally good guys and good players. And uh, But the, the thing, uh, you, you know, I uh, lost track of your question. Just how yeah. tempting was it? You know, the, the oh, Indians okay, came it. up with the I money, understand. but you could have went and, and maybe, you know, started your career as a Yankee as opposed to ending it. Okay. That was a that was a, an old age for a moment, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, it, it really wasn't that tempting, and I'll tell you why. Because, you know, they say a bird in hand is better than two in the bush. And <laughs> they were willing to give me money. And actually, I wasn't going to spring training with the Yankees. Uh, they offered me to go to spring training with the minor league uh, facility. Right. So I, I didn't think that was very good. Why should I go to spring training with them, even though I was a Yankee fan? And when the, the Indians were willing to give me. Uh, a, you know what? I had a $3,000 bonus, and that was like this. $1,250 when I signed. $750 if I lasted 30 days. And another thousand if I lasted sixty days. So at least twelve hundred and fifty dollars I had. I gave my father a thousand. I gave my brother who didn't want to take it a hundred dollars, and uh, because he always gave me some money, you know, uh, more than anybody. Here, my brother Dominic and uh, I. I just felt like let me give them something. And so in those days, a hundred and fifty dollars I could buy some clothes, you know, for spring training. And uh, for the season, you know, you know, you wore kids wore khakis, uh, t-shirts, polo shirts, whatever. And uh, so I, I, I thought, hey, listen, they, they're giving me money; they'll give me a better chance. I wasn't thought my money. And you're tuning in. We're speaking to Rocky Calavito, one of the all-time greats of the game. You know, you're 17 years old, Rocky, and you've right. lived in the city all your life. What was it like? to now suddenly go out and play minor league baseball in smaller towns than you were used to? I, I, I loved it. I mean, I, I, uh, I never felt like uh, a big city boy in a small town or that type of thing. I never, I never felt that way. Uh, and, and every place that I played, uh, it seemed like they liked me. I don't know why, but they, I had a nice following. At Daytona Beach my first year, uh, I led the league in home runs, and I had a nice following. The people, you know, when you hit a home run in Daytona, they passed the can around, <laughs> and they people would put change in it, you know, or, or you know, whatever, dollar, whatever they could afford. And uh, and then at the end of the night, uh, you got half of it, and half of it went into uh, into a, a till, you know, to split up with the whole team at the end of the season. Wow. So that, that was good. I was willing, you know, and so... And that was, of course, only at home. You know, I, not I, on the home ballpark. So. <laughs> you know, and I, I forget how many I hit at home and how many on the road. <laughs> Something like probably 13 and 10. Nice. Tips for home runs. You, know, <laughs> you, you climbed the minor league ladder in the Indians organization, being promoted every single year. 1952, split your time, as AJ said. Some of these small towns, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Spartanburg, South Carolina. 1953, right. you promoted to Reading, Pennsylvania, of the Class A Eastern League. Lots of good things happened to you in Reading. You'd meet two very important people in your life, Herb Score and a woman named Carmen. So can you tell our audience a little bit about those two people and what they meant to you? Okay, well, let's go with Herbie first, okay? Okay. He was my roommate in, uh, it's funny, not that year, 
you want a, you want a synopsis of that? A little sure. brief synopsis? Sure. Dude, I'll try to be as brief as I can. But anyway, Herbie's roommate and my roommate, this is in spring training now, in 53, they were both poker players, and they used to have a poker game almost every night. And they, they you know, they would go play poker or two and then come in and disturb you if you were asleep. But they never were really bad, you know. <laughs> but, you know, we decided that, and Herbie, we mentioned it to his roommate, my roommate, say, look, why don't you two guys room together? And we'll room together because we don't play poker. And then nobody gets disturbed. <laughs> and uh, and they said, oh, that's a good idea. Okay. So we did that. And that's how Herbie, that's how we started our friendship. But what the, the funny thing is, well, I, I don't, I have no answer for this, is that when we got to Reading, we didn't room together. And I, <laughs> I don't know why. I, I We just didn't cross paths uh, looking for some place to, to stay. We rented a room and, uh, and a woman by the name of Edie Fulmer rented us a room. And it was me and Rod Graber and Rudy Regalado. And uh, and he, we didn't have a roommate for him. Uh, so we had two rooms connecting. And uh, and then along came a fellow by the name of Bob Mosbury, who they signed out of, uh, out of college, I think. And uh, he was from Omaha, Nebraska, if I recall correctly. And... Uh, and, and so Rudy and he roomed together, and then Rudy got sent to AAA. So then I met my wife, and I met her later in the season. I, I didn't meet her right away. Uh, uh, there was a gal who became our maid of honor. They grew up together uh, by name of Mary Attili, and uh, they're still great friends. I call her and my wife and, and Ilda Avanzano. Uh, they're three gals that hang out together, go to lunch, do all that stuff, go to body zone. I call them the three musketeers. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, they uh, Mary introduced me to my wife. And Mary, you know, for, for, for high school, you know how they always have a promotion going. And they, she sold me a raffle and asked, asked me to buy a raffle. And they came in the place where we always ate, which was called the Piccadilly. And uh, until we found a better one, that... <laughs> place didn't have great food, so. <laughs> but anyway, we all ate there because it was reasonable. Almost a whole it, it, it wasn't good, but it was cheap, yeah, right? right? Yeah, that, that's about it. You know, it didn't kill you, and, the, and it wasn't great by any means. But it was cheap enough, so you know, we didn't make much. You know, right. I made. By the way, what I forgot to tell you when I said about the contract, I I, I also got three hundred a month. And and, uh, and that was it wasn't a lot of money, you know. When you think right. about it, you paid rent, you had to eat, and they never gave you enough meal money off on the road. So, you know, you ate wherever you could reasonably as you could. So you make it to the major leagues, and basically September 24th in Briggs Stadium, Al Smith leads off with a single. You enter that game as a pinch runner. I have to assume he must have pulled a hamstring or, or something at that point. Uh, you finish that game going 4-4, four for four, two runs scored, 7 nothing Cleveland win. In addition, it's the first time that people get to witness the famed legendary arm in, in the fifth inning of that game. Tigers first baseman Earl Torgensen was on second base. He tried to advance on a deep fly ball off a of Bill Tuttle. You catch the ball with your back to the wall and fired to third base, not only to get him, but basically by about 10 to 15 feet. Um, it's now close to 62 years later. How, can, can you still see that play in your head right now? 
Absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I, 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 and you know what's really funny is that Earl Torgerson, a good guy, you know, I played against him a lot of times. And Earl Torgerson told that story all winter long. He was one of those <laughs> banquet speakers, you know, he liked right. to do that. And he, I remember them telling me about it, that he, he'd say that he was on second and I was in front of the, uh, I think it was a 415 sign, I forget. It was, a, it was way out there in right center, between right center and center. And, uh, and Torgy and tagged up and was going to third, and the third base coach was telling him, get down, get down, you know, slide. And he said, what is he, nuts? This is Torgerson telling this thing, you know, what is he, nuts? No way to throw me out. You know? and, and God willing, I threw him out, right, like you said. It was like pretty much. And, and he, he was shocked to death. But he told that story over and over. <laughs> you know, perhaps your best day ever as a Cleveland Indian comes in 1959. And the reason why we're bringing it up is because this season, Scooter Jeanette had the four home run yeah. game. You have mm-hmm. four home run games in consecutive at bats. Mm-hmm. You know, Scooter's, though, I believe was a great American ballpark, which is a bandbox, right? Yeah. This was at Memorial Stadium, and lots of people that are listening probably have never gone to that stadium. That thing is like the the Grand Canyon. It's very difficult to hit home runs there, yet four times, uh, four at-bats. But the interesting thing is, and I went back, and that's what's so cool about Baseball Reference. They have every game log. So I went back. You enter that game hitting two seventy seven, which is not bad, but you had gone 3-4-28 in the month of June, and you were five for your last 41 entering that game. And then you get four home runs off of three different pitchers in one game. How, how, I mean, that's some way to break out of a slump, but was there anything different that day? Did you make an adjustment? How does that happen, going basically from five for 41 to hitting four home runs in four at-bats? Well, I can tell you a cute little story that, that, that went on. There was a beat writer, you know, who followed the club for the Cleveland Plain Dealer. And, and there was two writers. Uh, his name was Harry Jones, who I later worked with on TV. And Harry uh, was, the, like I said, the beat writer. And, uh, and it was standing around the cage taking batting practice, you know. And uh, it was on the road, so the, the regulars, that's what they call them, regs, and on the list, regs, R-A-G-S, and, and uh, they used to call them scrubs, the scoobinis, you know. Uh, <laughs> They still to this day. Regs hit 20 minutes. I'm sorry. They still do to this day the same exact terminology. Yeah. I I thought maybe they wouldn't use that today. You know, you want to hurt nobody's feelings. (laughs) We never got it. Never heard off, do we? But anyway, it it is what it is, you know. So uh, he he says to me, hey, Rock, you know, and he, Harry wasn't the guy to laugh all the time or anything like that. Pretty, pretty stone faced, you know. Uh, not ugly, just you know, just stone faced. And, and he says to me, hey, "Rock," he said, "So when the, when the hell are you going to break out of the slump?" Now, slump was not in my vocabulary. I never used the word slump. And he said, and I said, "What, what, what are you talking about, Harry? What, what slump are you talking about?" <laughs> I said, "I don't, I don't, I have no slump." And he said, "Oh, come on!" It was just like that, real serious, you know. And I said, "Yeah, that's right." Just what I said to you. And he said, well, come, when do you think you're going to break out here? I said, you know, Harry, you'll never know. It just might be tonight. That was my exact words. And I, not knowing anything else, didn't make any adjustments. Just went up and did <laughs> what I always did. And uh, 
and lo and behold, four in one game. So that was something I've always been very proud of. But I'll tell you one thing that, uh, if you want to hear it, Absolutely. Uh, that I was so, so wanting to do was I almost did it twice. And and that, I, I hit three in one game in, uh, if you're interested in hearing that. Sure. I hit three in one game in Cleveland for Detroit. I hit three consecutive home runs. Two off Pedro Ramos, one off, uh, oh, you'd know this guy. He was a, their right-hand closer, uh, Frank Funk. Right. Just came to me. Frank Funk, and I hit the third one off of him, and they brought in a guy that who later had uh, much more success at Minnesota by the name of uh, uh, Bill Daly. Bill Daly, do you, yeah. if you yeah. remember him at all, mm-hmm. you're too young probably. Uh, anyway, uh, I have three in a row, and I come up for the fourth time, and nobody has ever done it twice. And I knew that. And I, you know, it was in the back of my head, you know. And not that I was, but anyway, not that I was really going for it. I just, when I get to that point, I want to get a base. I want to hit the ball as hard as I can somewhere, okay? So I hit this, I hit this shot in the upper deck, and it went foul at the last well, it was about 15, 20 feet. It wasn't by a foot or two or nothing like that. It was about 15, 20. But it went foul right at the end. It hooked, right? But it was in the upper deck. I hit it as good as any of them. And, uh, and, I, and then the next pitch, he threw me a, a sinker on the away. That was his deal. He was a side armor, under armor, so to speak. And uh, it, it both sunk a lot. And he threw the ball away from me. And I hit the ball well, but I hit it on the... Just on the right side of second, but they always had a had a uh, shift for me, and was right at the second base when he threw me out. Interesting. Back then, you know, yeah. we we see the shift on every single batter, but back then, you know, yeah, it was an oddity. Yeah. It's uh, you know, so there have been a lot of awful trades in sports. Not one of those trades in baseball ha- has inspired uh, a moniker that goes with it: the curse of Rocky Calavito. Uh, right. It's the curse that supposedly prevents the Cleveland Indians from winning the World Series. They were close last year. Uh, its origins trace back to the unpopular trade when Frank Trado Lane sent you to the Detroit Tigers for Harvey Keene in 1960. Um, and Lane further infuriated the fans by saying, what's all the fuss about? All I did was trade hamburger for steak. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Can you tell us, first of all, how you found out about that trade? And are you shocked that 57 years later, people are still talking about that trade? Oh, I'm really. I I'm I'm kind of honored that they still talk about it. That means they still remember you, and they still hate the trade as much as I did. But you know something? In those days, you didn't admit anything like that. I mean, you would never give them the satisfaction of admitting that you were sad, that you didn't want to be traded, and I definitely did not, and I definitely was upset, and uh, I can say it now because of long test, mm-hmm. and uh, it just. It just was horrible to me because here I am with the Indians having a pretty good spring, which is highly unusual for me. <clears throat> was at the time, and I and I I I homered the first time up in Memphis, Tennessee, and I and, and I was really feeling good, and I hit a shot to the third baseman the second time up, and it, it handcuffed him, but he forced the guy at second, but they didn't get me at first, so you know it handcuffed him. <clears throat> They don't get me at first. So uh, anyway, 
and here comes uh, Joe Gordon from the dugouts, you know, walking towards me kind of fast. And, uh, and heard me score. I was sitting against the, the light towers in, 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 uh, in, in right by first base, between first base and the outfield, but close to the first. And, uh, and the reason I mentioned there's a reason, you'll see. <clears throat> and he comes up to me and he says, Rocky, this is Gordon now. Rocky said that's the last time you'll ever hit. You'll ever hit. How he knew that uh, in a Cleveland uh, in a Cleveland uniform? And I said, I just looked at him, and he said, "You've been traded to the Detroit Tigers for Harvey Keene. I wish you all the luck in the world." And all I could think of saying, contrary to what he made up some crap or Lane made up some crap that I said Keene and who else? That is a lie. I never said anything like that because Harvey Keene was a damn good player. And uh, <clears throat> just was a different type player than me. He was a singles, doubles hitter, an occasional home run, but not that many. And uh, <clears throat> I was the other way. I was a, uh, what was termed a home run hitter, and I, I liked the RBIs and that kind of thing. And I batted usually clean up or, or fifth, whichever happened. You know, the pitcher had something to do with that, who was hitting behind you. And, uh, and I looked at him. And like I said, all I could think of saying to him, same to you. That's a, that was my exact <laughs> words. Same to you. Uh. And so they put a runner in for me, and uh, and I go past Herbie, because uh, he's my roomie, and we're dressing at the hotel, because the facility in Memphis was not going yet. The minor leagues hadn't opened, and we were playing an exhibition game traveling north. So, uh, and I, I said to Rumi, I said, I'm going back to the hotel. i just been traded. And he looked at me and he said, come on, you know, just like that, come on, you know, don't, don't fool around like that, he said. I said, no, I said, I've been traded to the, to the Tigers for Harvey Keene. And he, again, he repeats, you know, don't fool around like that, he said, because <laughs> we were very close. We were like brothers, roommates, and, uh, and I said to him, oh, I'm serious, I, I couldn't convince him. So I said, well, I'll, I'm, get, I'm grabbing a cab. And I said, I'll meet you back at the hotel. I like to get, I thought at first when he was coming out, he was giving me the rest of the day off. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I thought. So and I thought, well, that's great because I was always slow anyway. Uh, you know, get ready. And uh, you had a hustle like hell. Uh, like they, the bus would take you back to the hotel. It would say uh, 30 minutes, the bus leaves. You know, 30 minutes from the time you get back to the hotel. And boy, that was a scramble for me. But now with, with the extra time, I was out of the game in about... I forget what inning the fourth or fifth, and uh, so, and I, again I repeat I couldn't convince him, so I just left. It's amazing that we made such a big deal here in New York. The yeah. woman Flores thought he was traded. The rumors right. were through social media. Could you imagine if Terry Collins walked out and told him, you know, after he got a hit, you've right. been traded? That's an amazing story. Now, during the research, we only have a few more minutes with you, and we really appreciate your yeah. time. We're talking with the great Rocky Colavito. During the research for this, you know, in the background, I was watching one of my favorite shows of all time, Home Run Derby with Mark Scott. And oh, yeah. I, you know, he mentioned something in the interview that I did not know about, and then I went and looked, and I was like, Whoa. All right. So Mark Scott, while you're sitting watching Harmon Killebrew hit, goes to you, hey, Rock, you're like the modern you know, day Babe Ruth because you were a pitcher and they converted you. So then I look at the stats and Rocky Colavito has one major league win as a pitcher. Not only that, prior to that win, in 1958, he pitched a game where he pitched three scoreless innings. And since we talked about the Harvey Keene trade, here's the thing that, to me, is amazing. 
In that three scoreless innings of work and no hits, by the way, a couple of walks, no hits, one strikeout, you faced Harvey Keene twice, okay? <laughs> and you got him out two times. I have to imagine that that might be one of the most gratifying feelings that you ever had on a baseball field. Am I right? <laughs> I don't want to shoot you down, but I, I, I liked Harvey. <laughs> I, I always thought Harvey was a good player and a decent guy. And and you know what was sad, really? I got all the all, all the publicity, a lot more than he did, I'm sure. Uh, you know, because of uh, you know how, how well I was uh, greeted in Cleveland. And but he he was well liked in Detroit. And I never felt any animosity towards Harvey. So that really it never even really entered my mind, to be really honest. And that's an honest answer. Uh, I just I wanted to get them all out. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, I want to strike them all out, but it didn't happen, you know. And uh, uh, I, I don't know. I just, uh, I, I just, I just liked doing it. I did it as a, so to speak, as a favor. Uh, that's another story that uh, Ralph Howe. I told Ralph Howe when I joined the Yankees. That was the second time I did. That's the one when I won the game. Right. And the first time I didn't win the game. I relieved Wilhelm. Hoyt Wilhelm, right. In, I was for Cleveland then. Yep. And uh, the second time was I was pitching for New York. Against the Tigers as well. Against guys that yeah, you played oh, yeah, with. Both times the yeah, Tigers. Right. Yeah, Norm absolutely. Cash, guys you were friends with as well. So, well, we're running out of time. I want to ask you one more question, Rocky. Right, sure. People may not remember, you were involved in the famed Pine Tar game. Yankees, mm-hmm. Royals, George, uh, Brett. George yeah. Brett, the bat. Oh, wow. And actually, mm-hmm. you got thrown out of that game. <laughs> Tell <laughs> us what you remember yeah. about the Pine Tar incident. Mm-hmm. You you want to know about the pine tarns? What do you, you remember what about your, the way you saw what, you what saw happened what and through your eyes? Okay, first of all, uh, George hit a bullet in the upper deck off of Gossage. Now Gossage wasn't the easiest guy to hit. Okay, <laughs> and he was a great reliever, and uh, and George really got into one hit the upper deck, and he rounds the bases, comes home, and then Billy Martin comes out of the dugout, <laughs> and I'm watching this whole thing as I played with Billy. And and he put up his usual fuss, and uh, uh, they they announced that the bat was too far up to pine tar, you know, too far up towards the sweet spot. Now that was so stupid that it, it almost made you throw up. Because if anything, if the pine tar, the ball hit the pine tar, it would re, you know retain it. It would like stick to it a little bit and might stop it from going a long ways. You know, it wouldn't last long because it would be so quick. But still, and it, it, it wasn't even close to to being uh, to hurting anything. And it was only a little bit past what they term is the, the, the point of no return. It was only a little ways up. So, uh, and and then. So, how did you get thrown out of the game? It was me out of the game, and I said, What the hell? I said, I'm only, you know, because everybody ran on the field. I said, I'm only a peacemaker here. I said, I'm. I'm not doing anything. I'm not fighting. I'm not arguing. And uh, and they, I mean, they just threw me out anyway. <laughs> but I told uh, McPhail, who was a, uh, the uh, the uh, president, president at the time, I said, I'm not paying it. <laughs> and they never forced me to. I said, I didn't do anything, and I'm not paying it. <laughs> so, Finally, and, and then Barry Halper, if you ever heard of him. Barry Halper, who was one Yankee. Yep. Remember Bill also yep. part owner? He, uh. He he bought up everything 
That had to do with the pine tar game. <laughs> you know, he bought your letters. He bought everybody's letter that were fined and all that stuff. Wow. All right, finally, I, that, I, did, that, I, I did mention. Uh, they're writing two books about me, believe it or not. Two books after all these years. Not one, two. Anyway, well, you know uh, what? You know, in doing the research, I'll, I'll tell you right now, because of time limits, I cut about twenty questions out of the interview. We we could do a weekly show with you. So two books does not surprise me. Uh, last question for you: I didn't mention the home run derby. This is also Hall of Fame induction weekend. The home run derby show that uh, aired with uh, Mark Scott for one season because uh, Mark Scott passed away the following year of a heart attack. A very young announcer. Um, you know, I didn't I didn't even know that until a few years ago. Yeah, that's why it didn't. Reach Turn. Great show. Uh, nine Hall of Famers appeared in that home run derby. Um, like mm-hmm. I said, today is Hall of Fame induction day. You take a mm-hmm. look at your numbers and you compare them to two guys. And, and those two guys, one of which is uh, one of my favorite guys, a guy that I wrote a book on, you know, Ralph Kiner. The other one, mm-hmm. Ron Santo. Your mm-hmm. stats are right there with those two guys. Are you surprised that you are not in the Hall of Fame? And what would be what would be uh, what would it mean to you if you were inducted into the Hall of Fame? Okay, that's kind of a two-part question. Right. The first answer is this. The word isn't surprise. Disappointment is the word that I always use, okay? I, was, I always was and am, to this day, very disappointed. Uh, and anybody, the second part of your question, anybody that says that he wouldn't, any big leaguer, that he wouldn't want to be in the whole yeah. thing, he wouldn't give a damn or anything like that, is, is lying. Because I tell you what, that's about, uh, that, that's the greatest personal honor you can get, is being selected for the Hall of Fame. And the other one is to win a penny in the World Series. And I, and I didn't get either. <laughs> Rocky, we look forward to the two books. Uh, hopefully, when they come out, we will have the author on. We'd like to have you on again because, like I said, had to edit 20 of the questions out. We really appreciate your time tonight. Oh, it's always great talking to the greats of the game. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. By the way, the author is Mark Summer, and, uh, and the other one is Bill Crusaders. They're going to come out separately. One, the, 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 uh, Mark Summers is first, and then... Uh, Bill Crusaders after that. Uh, we look forward to I, it. I don't know. It'd be probably a year or close to it. Okay. We definitely look forward to it. Thanks again, Rocky. Right. You're more than welcome. Take care. Rocky Colavito, 374 Major League home runs. Always great stories. Always great talking to the great Rocky Colavito.